Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, Jeb, ask your question about Toronto and Ontario. Go. Well, so one of the problems with this with this podcast is our general lack of knowledge. Um, 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. White Guys podcast, and we have Adam Mor- Adam Maris. That's hilarious. Yeah, I can actually see the little hamster in your head <laughs> practicing and failing. I blame like the two, like the little gerbils inside, like, I'm in charge. No, I get to talk. <laughs> Adam Maris, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You have an incredible burden on your shoulders. You are our Toronto expert on the entire Toronto music scene music history can you take take that pressure um i'm gonna give it my best shot okay are you uh currently a 50 year old white guy uh, i aspire to be a 50 year old white guy i'm i'm 43 so like nice 43 i, oh, I remember 43 oh god those oiled are oiled joints and everything it those was great <laughs> so adam you currently are working at one of the the great venues in north america uh massey hall correct absolutely correct can yes t- can you tell our audience about massey hall and the uh the sure. kind of history it holds for toronto yeah, absolutely. Um, historic venue. Massey Hall was built in 1894, which I think it was four years after Carnegie Hall. Okay. Um, and it's got a tremendous amount of history, a number of major live recordings uh, produced there. And in its early days, it was like a major hub in Toronto and North America. Like we had Caruso and the likes of Helen Keller and uh, <laughs> Winston Churchill have performed there. Yeah. But yeah, so it's got a long history dating back a long way. And um, it was recently uh, finished. We recently finished a major renovation. Yeah. So it's, it's big been, time yeah, big time reno, 184 million. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how big is Massey Hall? What's the capacity? It's it's about 25, 2600. That's like the perfect size. Yeah. It's like the beacon in New York or uh, the Warfield in San Francisco, or it's like that kind of size. Totally very intimate. Like the the uh, balconies wrap around. So like from the stage, you feel sort of like 
hugged by the audience. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, that's really cool. Well, who uh, and, it's, and it's known for its like amazing acoustics. Yeah, I have the Neil Young Massey Hall recording that he just put out, and it's it's pretty startlingly good. So, who's someone you've seen there, like say in the last year? I mean, I've seen every show since I started working there. Give me an uh, artist. Give me somebody. Okay, well, we uh, we had a couple times we had Pavement two nights in a row. Ringo, okay. uh, Elvis Costello. Oh wow. Uh, did you have a yeah. night where Elvis could hear himself or a night where he just sung from muscle memory? Because he actually last... sounded great. And I had yeah. a cool experience just walking backstage um, before like before sound check. And I walked out of like our kitchen area and uh, there he was like walking in front of me with his back towards me. Pretty cool. And then he started singing and oh. it was just me in the hallway. And I was like, holy, it was one of the holy shit uh, moments. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Very that... cool experience. That is really cool. Uh, Jeb, ask your question about Toronto and Ontario. Go. So one of the problems with this with this podcast is our general lack of knowledge. I found myself um, a little confused about um, how much of Ontario Toronto lays claim to. Like how I assume Toronto is a pretty central hub for culture, but I was wondering if you have to be from Toronto proper for Toronto to embrace you or, or fans who are 50, hundred miles out or greater are seen as part of some other lesser scene. Um, <clears throat> let's answer it with like, for example, like, uh, like tragically hip is a band people might know, but they, they are not claimed by Torontonians as a Toronto band. They are from Kingston, Ontario, which is a small town outside of Toronto. Um, so I think there's a lot of gray area. I think that uh, like I like there are times where I won't know. I'll just have to like double check. Like, is this really a Toronto band? But realistically, Toronto's like a major city. So I think a lot if you're an artist from outside of Ontario, at a certain point, you're gonna have to move to Toronto. Because okay. that's where the, that's where the gigs are. That's yeah, are. yeah. But but you actually have like a little outsider looking in status for a while until you cut your teeth. Like you can't uh I mean that's kind of interesting that uh even the tragically hip are still uh but i, I mean i don't provincials. think the hip would, <laughs> yeah like i don't think the hip would want to say that they're okay. from toronto they're probably proud of being from kingston right gotcha oh. gotcha and, and toronto is the the hub of the music business itself in canada like all the publishing companies and recording companies are in toronto i would say yeah i would say toronto and montreal okay montreal's awesome. got i don't know if montreal is on your list but uh montreal is pretty amazing uh-oh. I was just noticing that in two weeks we have Wisconsin, but I don't think I have Montreal. You have Wisconsin and I not know. Montreal. We Whatever. Might... Tim, add that. Tim makes the list. I have no, like, I am I all it's... in on Tim's random list. I think I have it's no, because no I grew up watching Happy Days, and so I saw how central music was to their lives in Milwaukee. We're going to definitely cover Donnie Most's uh, solo record, the guy who played Ralph Mouth. He no, made a record yeah, in 78. <laughs> uh, Adam, here are these uh, questions we have for all of our artists and residents just to get us uh, a better understanding of your hometown. Which venue, and you got to take Massey Hall out of this, uh, or you could even say which area of the city has had the best music scene, uh, either when you were growing up or, or currently in a, into adulthood? Uh, I'd say like the areas if I could do a strip, like there's a Queen Street strip, which is like a major downtown street that okay. has a lot of uh, live music venues. Um, 
couple in particular, like there's a Cameron house, a bar called Cameron house where um, a lot of people started out and they still like seven nights a week with free live music, like past wow. the jug, but like it's a small, cool spot. Uh, really good quality, like level of musicians is very high, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's another newer venue that opened up down the street called uh, Drum Taverna. And um, it focuses on diversity. So like you could go in on a given night and see like any kind of world music. Oh, interesting. Uh, also like like singer songwriters, but mostly like diverse world type types of bands. I think one of the things about Toronto is that it's super diverse, like it's, yes. as a city. Um, so that's a cool venue where you might see like anything on any given night. All sorts of musical influences coming into Toronto. Totally. The other thing is like Toronto is a huge city. Like I think it's the fourth largest in North America. Mm -hmm. So we're fortunate enough to get like all the major tours come through. Great. Yeah, we're talking so we're about not, New York. Yeah, similar to me. I mean, we're not New York. It's a tough one to follow, right. but I mean, no, no city is really New York. But you got, yeah, you got a lot of people who are going to hit Toronto as they come through on their tour. Yeah, like any major tour is coming through, most likely, unless they have like some drug issue they can't get over the border. So I have, I actually have three friends in touring bands who, uh, who uh, at the border in Niagara Falls got turned around for oh, some very low grade things. But like I, I actually know a couple of tours that fell apart for four or five days because they couldn't get to the Toronto gig. That's so wow. funny you mentioned that. But there's yeah. no, they are no joke at the border. Like they. They definitely sweep the van and ask a lot of questions. And and uh, you really have to be a good person to get to play the Toronto gig. At uh, at Massey Hall, we had a band like about a month ago who will remain unnamed, but uh, okay. their truck. Evidently, someone didn't realize that their driver was not vaccinated, the truck driver. <laughs> so basically, they had to like scramble to find a new driver at the border and the truck basically didn't arrive until like half an hour before they were supposed to go on. Wow. Huh. And like everybody's just sitting around waiting. We postponed the doors by half an hour and like, yeah. So, <laughs> but the show went on, everything worked out. Excellent, nice. excellent. The, the very stressful backstage area. Well, we have, uh, we, so part of the podcast is we have to pick our favorite acts or, or, or venues or moments from Toronto. But we're just three outsiders. What do we know? You're the insider. Who's you've been immersed in Toronto culture? Who's the biggest musical star? Who was the musical biggest musical star when you were growing up? And who are the uh, who are your personal favorites right now at the age of forty three? That's what I want to know is who do who don't we know about who we should? Yeah. Well, like the biggest ones, of course, what you know would be you know your Drakes and your uh -huh. Neil Young. And uh, the band, if we get to claim them, okay, which I, which I hope we do, because th that's probably the best band from Toronto ever. Okay, um, but there are some other ones, like the one that comes to mind that people might not know about uh, is a band called the Sadies. Okay, uh, I've just been listening to a lot of Sadies recently because uh, it's actually kind of a tragedy, but the sort of the main songwriter and predominant voice of the band was a guy named Dallas Good who came from like a rich musical family. He passed away, oh. sadly, uh, this past year. But uh, Sadie's are like, were our, um, just an unbelievable band. 
Um, that, I guess like if anyone did know them, they backed up Nico Case and um, mm. Andre Williams. They played with Neil Young. Okay. Uh, but their own records are amazing. And uh, I I have a fond uh, place in my heart for a band called The Sadies. More people, if there's one band more people should know about, it's The Sadies. All right. Yeah. I'm on it. Jeff, do you know them? Yeah, I know the name. I actually don't know their music very well, though, to be honest. So right. I notice you're not you're not mentioning Rush, which I think for most Americans is the go to. I know a Canadian band. Yeah, yeah. But I just I don't know if that's personal preference or just is there. Are they so ubiquitous that you, you almost forget to mention them? No, that's fair. I should. Uh, I don't know who they bump out if I had between Neil Young and the band. Uh, probably neither of them. Well, but yeah, Rush, Rush would be over in the corner playing video games anyway. You wouldn't have to bump them out at all. <laughs> Rush actually was was the first like huge concert that I saw at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Oh, uh, or I think or something like that. that. I was pretty into it at the time. How could you not be? Yeah, hometown heroes cool. conquer the world. I'd be pretty into them too. Now, Adam, do you have your own artistic pursuits? I know I see all the records in the background. So like Jeff and Ben, are you a big record store guy? It's funny. I'm actually, it's uh, uh, as far as artists and residents go, I do not consider myself an artist. Uh, artist am, uh, I, in living. I'm a con Right. I'm a consumer. Um, but yeah, I did spend many years uh, working in and managing record stores. Okay. And so like probably more of a music nerd than a uh, than an artist. Well, I, I tell you, we uh, we you're a good company. A special, Don't worry. We had a special <laughs> podcast of Record Store Day uh, where we celebrated record stores. And I had no idea that both Jeff and Ben kind of grew up tracking down vinyl and just uh, I grew up haunting used record stores racks. Yeah, that's basically where I learned how to be an adult. This is a, probably a very profitable uh, hobby in right. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's really paid off. Yeah. So, so Adam, you had to deal with guys like Ben and Jeff coming into your store and asking you incredibly specific questions. Man, I had some great customers. Um, but yeah, you get some real, I don't know about these two, but you do get some real characters. <laughs> in, the store. And in fact, there is, um, there's a cult classic uh, record, like a vinyl documentary. Um, it's called Vinyl. Uh -huh. It was uh, by this uh, director, Alan Zweig. You should, yeah. you should write that if you're interested in records, and that's one to uh, to check out. All and right. anyways, the Toronto Toronto filmmaker, and he did a documentary called Vinyl. It's like a cult classic, and it featured um, characters. Let's just say from the uh, Toronto music and surrounding community records so he, goes into their, he goes into their homes and asks them about records and i was they... too i was too shy to talk when i first started going i would just like wander around and figure out you know i only had enough money usually for one so i'd like whittle it down from like 15 to 12 to 6 to 4 to 1 and i just was hoping i picked one that was cool enough that the guy wasn't like didn't give me the eye roll when i bought it that was right. really pretty much the extent of my maybe first 20 engagements with the record store clerks. And, so. and did you do this? Did you like uh, pick up the 12 and then like whittle them down to the one and then just leave them? No, I re oh no, I restocked. I'm a, I'm a citizen of planet Earth. <laughs> or, did you, or did you like file them all back in the wrong places? <laughs> no, I did hide one once. I, I did um, when Dylan's, uh, when that 10 of swords 
bootleg came out right after Biograph, this 10 album boxed bootleg of like, at that point, like all of the unreleased Dylan that anybody knew about from 61 to 66, it was called the alternate Biograph. And uh, they had it for 50 bucks, which in, you know, like 1985 was a way more pocket money. So I hit it and then ran home and, <laughs> and uh, a bike home, I should say, and got the rest of my money and came back and got it from where it was hidden. But that's the only time I ever messed with the racks. It's <laughs> good. Uh, just out of curiosity with these three gentlemen uh, that I have here uh, right now, currently in the plain household, there are zero records. Uh, ben, do you know how many records there are in the Barton household? I don't have a count, but um, my the, uh, my storage unit got broken into, and I lost everything from the middle of the Rolling Stones to Z. Oh. So I have my original record collection from A to the middle of R. Oh. Ouch! Isn't the whole point of a storage facility is that it's protected? Yeah, it was funny. It was like it was like kind of wired in. And they got through the chicken wire and they could only reach some of it. And they just like pulled out what they could get. And it was in various crates. And so they got the that, that crate, but the rest of it still exists. All right. Uh, Jeff, how many? A couple hundred. I scaled way back. You did? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Adam? Uh, I got the most, I guess. Look, I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I got like seven, 800. I, I actually have mostly, uh, now I sound like a hoarder. I have mostly CDs, so I have many, many more CDs than records. Okay. I used to have an enormous CD collection, but I, I digitized and went all digital. Um, it took me like five years, but I'm down to like a, I'm down to like 500 CDs, which for me is like feels like a modest collection. So, <laughs> well, Adam, we got one final question for our artists in residence tonight. It could be something from your childhood the teenage years, the 20s are now, but what is your favorite musical memory you associate with Toronto? What do you got for us? Um, I didn't really have a chance to think about this one. Uh, I guess just what whatever shows I saw in Toronto, um, which I, and I guess there's nothing specific to Toronto about it, but I guess I, I'm at an age where I got to go to Maple Leaf Gardens uh -huh. so, which was like where the Maple Leafs used to play so a very old arena in Toronto yeah and uh, I saw a lot of good shows there I think the, my favorite one was probably the BC Boys I think it was 1994 great and I was yeah I'm 43 uh so I was pretty young and it was incredible <laughs> it was just incredible okay. I was like really into the BC Boys at the time yes yeah, so great you, so what year is that 93 Four, I think. 94. So you were probably teenage, what, 17? 15, wow. 15, oh, that yeah. would be fantastic. That'd be a fantastic. Must, yeah, it must have been amazing for a teenager. I did see uh, I did see a lot of shows. Like I spent I had a good chunk of years where I was uh I had a full-time job that like paid decent and I was living at home. Uh-huh. And in those years, I just like spent all my money on music and going to concerts. <laughs> yeah, so fun. So fun. That was so I saw a lot in Toronto. Yeah, I have these pockets where I'm like, why did I see all these shows these years? And then I didn't see it. I was like, oh, because I was alone and had no responsibilities. <laughs> so there was ample opportunity to go out on a Tuesday night. Oh, uh, that is great. Well, Adam ha Harris, Adam Maris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Don't worry, I'll cut 
every time I I butcher. Oh, it. you better not. You better no, leave that. It. It's, I'm used to it. It's all good. Adam Harris. <laughs> Adam, thanks so much for being with us, man. It's a pleasure to my, meet you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.